Before we get into Colossians, I just want to say I had, I had the privilege this morning of uh, going to our launching church, Missio Church, this morning. And uh, what an amazing um, reminder it was for me to see God doing what he said he would do. And as he has called us to this mission and this vision together, he's backed his play incredibly. Um, and I'll tell you why I was reminded of that this morning. First of all, walking into Missio this morning and knowing that we, uh, 30, 40 people strong, have been sent to this place and to see what God has done in terms of them flourishing downtown um, in our absence is, is remarkable to see God's faithfulness. The other thing that blew me away this morning is Adam was talking about preaching through a new series that they're beginning at Missio, but encapsulating this morning part of our mission and our vision to partner with other churches and to see other churches planted and, and to partner with people all over this county that stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ so that his gospel can be accessible to everybody in this community through his people. Um, and then to see Adam proclaim that part of the, the, uh, the mission and the vision that we all share together um, through Second Peter and then at the end, he called up all the ministry partners that are partnering with Missio, and I, I went up for us, and to see across the stage um, what God is doing in our city and in our county, was, it was frankly remarkable to me. It was amazing to see, um, geez, Bernie, you'd have to help me, there was a, uh, the first African church, what is it? Liberian, Burundi, the churches that are meeting in the buildings that, that God's given to Missio, um, to see those congregations. There's a pastor that's just planted in the north side. Um, there was a woman who's uh, doing an outreach to inner city kids through the summer. Um, Tim, Tim Mathis out in Westmoreland. Um, Brandon at the university, us, and there were so many more. I, I couldn't name them all. Literally all the way across the stage, there was ministry partners of people in Onondaga County in the city of Syracuse that are standing on the gospel of Jesus Christ and that are, that are standing um, arm in arm with each other, pursuing the same mission with no regard for any kind of competitive, um, idolatrous like uh, desire to be better than any other ministry, but to partner together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was awesome. To see, isn't that good news? Um, and, and frankly, listen, our mission is weird sometimes in the minds of people. For for a new, really missio, a new church plant to take thirty of their, I think, rock but solid people and send them down the road to Liverpool and Baldwinsville is is anti. Uh, what some people would think you should do in the midst of church planning, but because our mission is to grow this way and to spread the gospel and have a gospel accessibility to people through God's people, pockets of believers in every town, every village, every part of the city, every neighborhood, where, where people in workplaces and in schools and in parks and all around their areas have accessibility to the gospel through believers. To see that mission begin to happen in a real tangible way uh, I, I don't know, I was, I was excited and I was blessed by God's faithfulness. Um, and so that's that, all right? <laughs> I wanted to give you a report on what happened this morning. Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verses 21 to 23. I have the privilege of talking to you about this continuation in our series in Colossians. And, and this particular little passage is very exciting to me. Um, and I hope it is to you this morning. So let's just take a minute 
uh, let's take a moment and walk through it together and see what the Lord would say. Let's read it and then we'll pray. Um, why don't we stand as we read the word tonight? Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's the word of the Lord. Amen? You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I just pray that tonight you would speak to us through your word. I pray that tonight you would remind us of who we are in relationship to you. I pray tonight that you would, as your word proclaims in this passage, that you would be very personal to us. That you would speak personally to each one of us in this room about what you've done. Reveal, as you have through your word, reveal to us tonight about who you are in relationship to us, who Jesus is and what he's done in each of our lives. And help that tonight to somehow tell us something about ourselves. Help us to be drawn closer to you. Help us tonight to be reminded of what we've been saved from. Fill our hearts tonight with gratefulness. Help us to worship you as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So how do you identify yourself? How do you... How do you identify who you are. I think there's a lot of different ways that each of us do this. And, and, and it's interesting because I think just our culture speaks to this in a great deal. Um, where, where we live, where we're from, uh, the family we belong to. Would those be some of the ways that you would identify yourself? You know, I'm from Baldwinsville. Uh, I, I grew up in Beeville my whole life. You know, my father went to that high school. My brother went to that high school. I went to that high school. My kids are going to that school. We wrestle. That's something I identify. We were wrestlers growing up, and and all of us did that. Maybe your work is how you identify yourself. You know, know, Paul owns a business. I, I work at the DA's office. I'm a prosecutor. I think a lot of people find identity in what they do. Um, and, and it becomes a big part of, of people's identity. This is what I do for a living. This is what I, I spend my time doing. That could be a way you identify yourself. Some, some, some of you may identify yourself in ways that, that are potentially depressing or harmful. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm addicted. I, I'm depressed. I'm I'm chubby. I identify myself like that all the time. I, I, my brother owns a CrossFit gym. My wife is one of the most conf- committed CrossFitters I've ever seen. And, and I'm, I'm a once-a-monther. I mean, <laughs> I, I go, I do it, I'm sore for three weeks, and then I do it again, and I'm sore again. <clears throat> How do we identify ourselves? Here we see in the book of Colossians Paul speaking to the the people in in, in this church, and he's speaking um, 
in the beginning, and as Mike has talked about the last couple of weeks, almost on a cosmic level, he's speaking about who Jesus is. He's confronting this, this, Coloss, this Colossians heresy that, they were, that was seeping into the church that, that was a little bit like the Judaizers in, in the book of Galatians, but, but a little different too. And there's this, this idea of Gnosticism that's seeping in and there's this heresy that's seeping in and Paul is coming in and he's reminding them of who Jesus is, and he speaks in a very cosmic level. He speaks in a very macro level. He reminds them, as Mike talked about the last couple of weeks, about the premacy of Jesus, his superior, um, the fact that he's God, the fact that he is the firstborn in terms of speaking, not that he was ever born, but speaking of his status, speaking of, of, of how powerful and how awesome and how, how beautiful Jesus is and how in command and control he is. There's this cosmic macro idea, and as we come into verses 21 to 23, he now turns from this cosmic level, then he turns to the church, and now he turns to you. You. And he begins to speak individually about the implications of how huge and how awesome Jesus is in our lives. And he turns it to a very personal, specific, and I think identity or defining thing for each of us if you're in Christ. Adam said this this morning, and I'm glad that I heard it as I sat in Missio this morning, but he said, many times believers forget what they've been saved from and need to be reminded. I think there's maybe something very true about um, American Christianity and central New York Christianity, let me bring it even regional, that there's sometimes almost like an inoculation to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I mean when I say that? Like when you've been inoculated to something, it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it's like a, it, when you take your kids in to, to get, what is it called? Doctors, help me. Where are the whites? A vaccination, thank you. <laughs> you, get, you get vaccinated. There's, they give you a little bit of the disease so that, you're, so that you build an immune system from the disease. And when it comes and attacks your body later on, you've built up an immunity to it. And there's this idea of the gospel, I think, in the people that, that we're surrounded by, and maybe even some of us sitting in this room, where there's, there's this inoculation. We intellectually assent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we believe it to some degree. We, we, we have saluted it. We've maybe um, been brought up in a tradition of it, but there's not a an identifying, defining understanding of what Jesus Christ and his and his power has done for each of us. And Paul is battling a spirit of heresy in this church, and he's reminding them, you. Look at this reminder. It's pretty powerful. You, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... Look at verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. A change has occurred. 
Something drastic has happened. Something powerful has happened in our lives. And, and I think many of us who have maybe grown up in the church or have been surrounded by faith and have had a little bit of the vaccination so that th- there's this idea of being inoculated to the gospel of Jesus Christ, sometimes we have a hard time recognizing the reality and the truth of the matter is you were alienated from God. I was alienated. I was hostile. I was his enemy. I was at war with God. I had no interest in him. I was opposing him. I was incapable of recognizing my need for him. Complete stranger, estrangement, alienated. Why? Because of my sin. This is sometimes hard to recognize, isn't it? Sometimes hard to have it seep in in such a way I heard a pastor say once, and it stuck with me, that I believe it was C.J. Mahaney said that sometimes you need to come to a recognition of the bad news before the good news sounds as good as it should. I totally paraphrase whatever he said, but that was the heart of it. There's something we need to come to grips with tonight as we take a look at what Paul's reminding these believers of in this church and and reminding us of, that's that you are alienated from God. You are separated from God. There is a gap. There is an alienation. There is estrangement from God because of sin. Our sin, which has taken root in our lives from birth, has caused us to be a part, to be separated from God. And I see this need for reconciliation, don't you? I see the need for reconciliation. I mean, if you can't think about it in your own life at this point, think about it in terms of our community. Think about it in terms of where we live and what's going on. Do you not see the need for God to come and do something to reconcile people to himself? There is an alienation. There is an estrangement from God and who he is and what he's all about. I mean, you can think about it in terms of history, in terms of sinful history of our world. I I just watched a movie with my daughter. Brutal. Oh, my goodness. Uh, The Book Thief. Holy cow. Rachel's nodding at me. Don't watch that movie unless you want to cry. It, It was just incredibly sad. But it was a reminder. This was a girl who lived, little girl who lived in, in Germany during World War II. And you see the devastation of Hitler and you see the devastation of, of what was happening at that time period. You see this estrangement from God across our world. I see it every day, obviously, in my job. And I know you see it in your lives. As a prosecutor, I see the devastation, particularly in the Special Victims Bureau, of, of what sin does, how far we are from God. I see the devastation of sin in the lives of people. And sometimes it's easy to not think about it in our own life, but I see even in my own life, how I was far from God, how I was alienated, how I was estranged, and how left to myself and my own sinfulness. That is my bent. That is where I go. I see it in my marriage. I see it as I deal with my kids. I see it in my relationships with other people. I see my bent. I see what sin has done. I see how it separated me from God and who he is and what he wants to do. And, and thank God for verse 22, amen? There's an alienation, there's, there's an estrangement, there's a gap. There's an there's a incapability for us to bridge it. You, he gets very personal. You, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled. Amen. Isn't that a great word? He has now 
reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know, there's this idea in verse 22 where you see reconciliation and you see justification both at play in this passage. You see this idea of justification and this idea of reconciliation working together. And I think the reason you see that as he's displaying the heart of the gospel in this passage is we must, we must first be declared guilt-free, innocent from our guilt to then be reconciled in relationship to God. Amen? So you see these two concepts at play in this passage, the idea of justification, such a beautiful picture, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we look at justification, the idea that he would declare us innocent, the idea that because of Jesus and what he did, and you see here, um, we are now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. You see a need for Jesus to be incarnate and to die on the cross for our behalf. Paul is displaying here in this passage that Jesus, the God-man, fully God and fully man, he had, to, he had to be incarnate. His body of flesh needed to come. And, and in this, he's disputing some of the heresy that they were dealing with in that time. But he had to come. He had to be incarnate. He had to walk among us. He lived the sinful life none of us could live. And he, as fully God and fully man, needed to die to atone for our sins. And he died on the cross. He died on the cross taking upon himself the punishment for all of our sin, saved up from Adam to the end of the world. All of man's sin was directed at him and he paid for our sin so that we could be justified, so that God would look at us, each one of us, and he would not see everything you've done wrong, not see all of your sins or all of your screw-ups, but when he looks at you, if you're in Christ, he would see Jesus and he would declare you not guilty, justified innocent because of him and by this justification reconciliation is possible he now has bridged the gap of our alienation of our estrangement from god because of christ we now are reconciled into relationship with him amen come on this is good news the gospel of jesus christ is good news the implications of this could go on and on and on and on forever Think about this for a moment in relationship to who you are. How do you identify yourself tonight? Are you the dude that works at this place? Are you the guy from Beeville or from Liverpool or from Clay? There is something that defines me that's so much greater than what I do. There is something that defines me that's so much greater than where I'm from or where I was born. The fact that I was alienated from God and Jesus in his body and in his death has reconciled me. I'm someone that he's adopted, that he's reconciled, that, that now I have relationship with God. And that is my new identity. It, it, Adam said it this, this morning as he was preaching about a more, uh, in Second Peter, talking about a more corporate passage in relationship to the priesthood of saints. But, but there's no, I, we don't, we're not identified by our race. We're not identified any longer by our creed. We're not identified any longer by where we're from or our economic status or our social status. We are identified by Jesus and what he's done in our lives. Amen. You, he's speaking to each of us, you, once alienated and estranged, separated from God, 
He's now reconciled you. In his body of flesh by his death. In order to what? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I love that this passage starts with you. And you who were once alienated. You know why? And I know I've said this before, but I think it's important to think about right now. It's easy to think about this in relationship to us. It's easy to think about this in relationship to the church. But I'm asking you tonight in this moment as we sit here in this room together, think about it in relationship to you. You. Reflect on that for a moment. How the gospel of Jesus Christ has come in the greatness of Jesus, who he is, now and you. He's speaking of you, personally. You were alienated. And if you haven't been reconciled to God, you have that opportunity in Jesus. Because of his death and his resurrection, you have the opportunity to be declared justified and to be reconciled to God back in relationship with him. That separation can be bridged. It has been bridged for you. Let's keep going. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. There's this language that relates It's the same language talked about in the Old Testament in relationship to uh, the unblemished animal sacrifice. There's this idea that because of Jesus' sacrifice, you now are blameless. You now are like the unblemished lamb. You now are blameless and presented before God because of his sacrifice. And, And I love this picture because you see it throughout the Old Testament and Paul, knowing it all too well because of his background, the, 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 the spotless lamb that was sacrificed before God for the atonement of sin, Jesus became that sacrifice so that now you are presented to God blameless and unblemished. There's this idea that Jesus as your substitution was the perfect sacrifice so that now you, even though you, you have sin, even though you've screwed up, even though I'm, I was once alienated and sinful and hostile to God, I was an enemy of God, now because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I can be presented to God as the unblemished, blameless lamb. I can be presented to him as clean. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, how dirty you feel, how, how separated you feel because of your sin. Please hear this tonight. Some of you may be walking into this place feeling as though I consistently screw up. I am consistently struggling with this sin. I am consistently this because that's what everybody's told me I am for my entire life. Because that's what my parents used to say to me. Because that's what the kids at school said. Because that's what my, my husband or my friend has said about me. And, and this is how I feel because of my sin in the, in the, in the degrading of other people. I feel this way. Jesus comes and gives you a new identity. He says, listen, you were alienated. Every single one of you, regardless of how good you were, your good works are like filthy rags. Every one of us were alienated from God. But because of Jesus, you're presented to him blameless. 
You're clean because he's declared you clean. You're clean because his sacrifice was enough. You're clean because he died for your sins and was your substitution. Now he presents you before the Father as blameless. Amen? You need to know who you are tonight. Find your identity in Christ. As Paul reminds us through this passage of who we are, because of him. Not for your glory, not for my glory, but for his. You, holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became of minister. Think of this for a moment. So you see verse 23. If, you indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. Paul, in this, as you look at the language in this and, and as you look at what it, the verb says, there's this, there's this um, I want to read it the right way. There's an assumption that you will continue. There's a, there's a, as he says, if, if you indeed continue, there's this idea in the way that it's written that you will continue. We believe in the perseverance of the saints, but that means those are the saints that persevere. There's an idea that if you persevere, the gospel of Jesus Christ has actually taken root in your heart and is working. And as he's saying, if you continue in the faith, in this encouragement, there's an assumption that you will. Why? Because the grace of God works and the gospel of Jesus Christ works. And as it's taking root in your life, as this reality is made known in your life, you will be one that perseveres and that pursues. But there's an encouragement here to continue, to continue, to persevere in the faith, to continue to walk out what he's done in your life. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This relates back to Matthew 7, as Jesus talked about the guy that built his house on the, on the rock of truth as opposed to the sand. You guys remember that parable? There's this idea of the man that built his house on the sand. And then Jesus said, if you hear these words, you're like the man who built his house on the rock. The idea that the waves come, the winds come, the storms come, but if you've built your house on the rock of truth, it'll stand, it will be stable, it won't be shaken. And as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of who you are, one who is alienated but now has been reconciled because of the death of Jesus Christ, if you build your identity and your life on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what happens on the outside, You'll stand steadfast and stable, persevere. Amen? We will be ones that persevere to the end. F.F. F. Bruce said, continuance is the test of reality. The continuance of a believer who perseveres is the test of the reality of the gospel that's taken root in their lives, amen? If the gospel has taken root in your life, and this is your identity, one who is alienated now is reconciled, continuance will be a part of your life. Perseverance will be a part of your life. Your life will be built on the rock. And all the stuff that happens on the inside, instead of it shake, all the stuff that happens on the outside, instead of it shaking your inside, and causing you to be blown around to and fro. Instead, because of this reality, because of what Paul's reminding us of here, 
Your inside will begin to affect the outside. The reality of what Jesus has done for you will enable you to walk through the storms, to walk through the difficulty, to walk through whatever this fallen, sinful world throws at you in such a way that you will persevere. You will continue to the end. Amen? Because of Him. And ultimately, He's done this in our lives. He's reconciled us. He's brought us from estrangement into relationship. He's presenting us blameless and above reproach. He's causing us and enabling us to continue in a faithful, stable, steadfast way, not shifting and being blown around. Why? Not shifting from what? The hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Why has he done this work in our lives? Because Paul, listen, as he's saying these words, the gospel has not yet gone to all the world, but he understands that it will. He understands that the gospel will effectively permeate every area of our world, and he's gonna do it through his people. God is using people to present the gospel to every man, woman, and child. This speaks to the vision and the mission that God has given us. He saved you, he's reconciled you, he's helping you and causing you to be steadfast and stable, not shifting, and the gospel is gonna go out through you to all the world, amen? God's gonna use you to present the gospel, this idea that, hey, I know you're alienated and estranged from God, but he has made a way for you to be justified and reconciled to him, and you can see it in my life. Not anything I've done, not anything I've accomplished, God's done it in me, and I want to proclaim it to you. Amen? That's what he's called us to. That's what he's done in our lives. Paul wanted them to not build their lives on the lie of the heresy that was permeating this, truth, this church, but on the rock of the truth that he was presenting to them. And then he ends this passage with I, Paul. And you see this sense as he speaks about himself at the end of this passage. I, Paul, became a minister, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And you hear in, in this, this portion of his declaration and understanding that Paul, the persecutor of the church, even him, you hear in this that even him, the one who is recognizing how alienated he was from God, how the gospel absolutely transformed his life. I, Paul, he's, he's declaring to them, I'm saying this. Even I'm a minister of this gospel, one who was a persecutor of the church, one whom they knew to be the guy that, that was out there as a, as a prime enemy of the church. Jesus has reconciled him to God, and even I, Paul, am a minister of this gospel. His life has been transformed in such a way that he's proclaiming this truth for them to build their lives on. This has become now, in the book of Colossians, something very personal. We've spent some time talking about who Jesus is. We've spent some time being reminded 
of his greatness. And now we're asked through this passage to take a look at us, you. I think it's worthwhile to take a moment and to recognize who we are in relationship to God. I think it's, it's worthwhile for us to take a moment through the scripture and to have our identity redefined. I was once alienated. I was once estranged. I was once hostile to God. And he has, through his death, through his incarnation and his death, he has justified and reconciled me to himself. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do it. I can't add to it. He's going to give me the ability to persevere in it, not wavering, but stable, so that I can be a part of declaring the gospel to those who need Jesus. Amen? Why don't we stand together tonight? Let's pray and ask God to remind us. And in a moment, Mike's going to come. And he's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. And why don't we take this moment tonight, on Memorial Day weekend, and why don't we take this moment and reflect on what this passage tells us as we worship to these last couple songs. And as you come tonight for the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about that body of flesh that was broken for you, that has brought this reconciliation, that has brought this justification. Amen? God, we just thank you tonight for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for reminding us of who we are without you. And then at the same time reminding us of what you've done on our behalf. That you've made a way. That you have miraculously come the, the incredible, superior, firstborn Jesus. This amazing God that we've spoke about over the last couple of weeks. You came and you personally, very personally, invaded our life through your incarnation, through your death, through your sacrifice on our behalf. You died on the cross so we don't have to. You've declared us justified. You've made a way for us to be reconciled and in relationship with God through your death. And you've given us an ability by your grace because of who we are now in you to live a life not shifting but stable, persevering in the faith so we can be presented as blameless before God. We're so grateful tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.